is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Local Voices, I'm Brad Ford. This week, World AIDS Day and what's being done to help Portlanders with HIV. Oregon health officials are asking for your help to reduce spread of respiratory infections that have hospitals filled with patients. And three new centers in Portland offering free technical education programs. World AIDS Day is always marked on December 1st. Portland City Council issued a proclamation and they heard from three Portlanders who were impacted by HIV. Jim Clay created the Aging Well program at the Cascade AIDS Project. We're here today to share the meaning of World AIDS Day. Um, So what is the meaning? Well, the answer is it depends. It depends over time it has moved. It began as a solemn time of remembrance and commemoration. It was a time to express our rage, observing that silence equals death. It began as a time to remember all of those who had been lost and all of the painful and ugly struggles that we had endured. 700,000 people died. I'm sure it's not lost on you that that's more than the population of the city of Portland. All dead. Playwright William Hoffman was asked once, could he summarize his experience of the earliest days of AIDS in 10 words or less? No small challenge, but he nailed it. He wrote that it was a time of mass death, brutality, and human indifference. And that gay historian Hugh Ryan was also asked the same in fewer than 10 words. He said simply, we let people die because we didn't like them. And so World AIDS Day is a time to recall with righteous anger all of those who share some responsibility for our great losses. I lost all my friends, all my friends. I lost most of my community. I lost my husband, Mark. I love speaking his name. But it's only fair, and it brings us some relief to remember the heroes and the angels of that time as well, because there were those. Larry Kramer, Elizabeth Taylor, Michael Callan, to name just a very few. Oh, and a a very young, very young, Tony Fauci. Lately, World AIDS Day has become something else. It's become an opportunity to reflect on the advances that medicine has made so that we can dramatically change the trajectory of this epidemic, of this plague. We look ahead with optimism at promising new treatments for the newly diagnosed. But what about those of us who have been living with this plague and are left battered by 30 or 40 years 
of experiencing the virus, of experiencing the human difference, indifference, and the, the absence of activism on the part of our federal government. And, ironically, have been battered by 30 or 40 years of the very medications that promised us wellness, and yet, at times, did more harm than good. We're aging prematurely, and many of us, having been told that we will die an early death, did not plan for retirement. So many lives were lost. But I think the one thing that we want to leave you with here today is that some of us are still here, what we call in the HIV community long-term survivors. Many of us are widows. Many of us are alone. Being a gay man from, from the earliest years, there was no opportunity for adopting children, for forming a nuclear family, for even uh, connecting with a spouse. It, it was very rare for that to happen. And now, in our 60s and 70s, some of our program participants are in their 80s. We're living alone. So when I learned that Cascade AIDS Project was interested in supporting older adults who were still living with AIDS, who were still living, but who were still living with HIV, uh, they asked for a needs assessment. They asked for somebody to go in the community, do a little bit of talking and a whole lot of listening, and find out what were the needs and the strengths and the experiences of older adults living with or affected by HIV. Now, having worked for decades in human services, I worked for 10 years in the office of the county chair, so I'm much more familiar with the county side of this, with the health department. It has been a joy lately to see this new approach that nobody ever saw coming. Nobody saw coming that we need to not only be working with the health department in Multnomah County, we need to be working with aging and disability services. Nobody thought we were going to be aging. Nobody thought we were going to be here. We didn't think we were going to be here. So the world is a really different place right now. So I was asked to do this needs assessment based on the needs assessment. Um, I took all of what I had learned in human services for three decades and designed and then implemented and now manage a program called Aging Well. Walking advertisement. It supports older adults living with or affected by HIV. A lot of what we do is community building, finding connections for older adults who are living with HIV, who are affected by HIV, who are alone, disconnected, and need a social support, who need a family, who need a community. That's what we do. So as I started thinking of this, I realized neighborhood development, community building, that's really starting to overflow into the agenda of the city of Portland. We're looking for your support. We understand today you're considering a proclamation where you would declare your support. We have some really concrete ideas, or maybe you have some concrete ideas of how we could go about that. I'm hoping sometime in the future we can have a discussion about what that could be, because we've got a program in place right now. I, frankly, I will claim that it's highly successful, and it's doing great work, and it's doing important work, 
And if you would like to be engaged with this and support this, we'd like for you to be, be with us. So thank you for your consideration of World AIDS Day. Thank you for consideration of older adults who are living with or affected by HIV. Thank you all. Brett Conry is a volunteer with the Cascade AIDS Project. In December of 1985, nearly 40 years ago, I became HIV. I was 27, and my life changed dramatically. By 1991, I was sick. I was unable to continue working. At 33, I lost my career, and my health insurance was gone. I was dependent on public health care for specialized health. By 1995, I was diagnosed with a rare and deadly form of cancer. There were some drugs that were new, and they were still experimental, and they helped. I survived it. We didn't find out the long-term effects of those drugs until 2003, when I had my first heart attack. I can't remember how many times I've had to change my medication. My need for health care is never going to change. My demand for services through aging and disability is just increasing. Last month, I turned 64. I don't have a retirement plan. What I have is Social Security disability of less than $1,100 a month. It's programs offered through Aging Well that provide me with socialization, education, a place that I feel I belong, and a family. It's advocacy from organizations like CAP, Cascades Age Project, I still need. World AIDS Day is complicated for me. It's a time that I reflect and I remember so many lives lost and their suffering I also remember their encouragement and their inspiration. They taught me not to give up. They taught me to fight and not to lose sight of hope. I'll honor their passing by celebrating the success of this disease and acknowledging that I'm one of the first group of survivors. One of the ways that you can honor their passing is to reconnect with your own commitment, your duty, and your obligation not to forget those of us who survived. Ian Morton is executive director of Portland's Q Center. My own beginnings in nonprofit and advocacy world were in the HIV community. Um, I came out at the age of 19 in 1993, still a few years before trials started for what we now know as the cocktail. Um, and. Myself and my roommate, Melissa Moore, were doing our best to do prevention education in Knoxville, Tennessee. And yes, cities like Knoxville, Tennessee were very behind the scientific curve. So it was very impacted by what was coming from the churches. Um, my own mother, after I came out to her, the last thing she said before we spoke for another four years was, when you're dying of AIDS, don't call me. This is... <laughs> part of the shadow that many gay men in particular in the United States have uh, on their back as they move forward. And when I moved to San Diego, I took a job at an HIV specialty pharmacy. And like uh, Brett had said, 
medications were changing all the time, and even as a clerk, I was fighting with insurance companies to try to get new drugs approved for people for uh, their previous ones were no longer working, and that's where I really learned how to fight for people. World AIDS Day, yes. It's such a complicated, complicated day for so many of us. I, I woke up this morning and realized that I didn't have any more lapel pins, um, and the spool of red ribbon that I had always kept has been repurposed for my niece to do craft projects, and I was a little embarrassed because I felt like I performed some sort of betrayal because I certainly know as, as I've worked in the community, we always said never forget. And today is that reminder of what we carry with us, of what we lost, uh, the, the artistic and vibrant and beautiful souls that we were burying week after week. So I appreciate the city acknowledging World AIDS Day. I appreciate the continued call to action coming from organizations like Cascade AIDS Project and Q Center is here to also be a part of that conversation and a partner uh, with those who are wanting to make these resources available and um, uh, amplified for the community. So Jim, I'm thrilled that I'm meeting you officially today. And uh, thank you for being here and thank you again to the both of you. That's Ian Morton, Executive Director of Portland's Q Center, along with Brett Conry, a volunteer at Cascade AIDS Project, and Jim Clay, who created the Aging Well Program at Cascade AIDS Project, marking World AIDS Day before Portland City Council. Portland area hospitals are overwhelmed with patients suffering from respiratory illnesses including RSV, flu, and COVID-19. Oregon State Health Officer Dr. Dean Seidlinger explains what's happening. Here are the three most important pieces of information I want to convey today. The situation facing our hospitals is extremely serious. Today, more hospitals are reaching a point of crisis in their adult bed capacity, just as our pediatric hospitals moved to crisis care standards in the past two weeks. The combination of surging flu, RSV, and COVID-19 cases is pushing hospitals past their current ICU bed capacity, which never happened during the darkest days of our COVID-19 pandemic in Oregon. OHA and Governor Brown are taking action to aid hospitals in this crisis by giving hospitals needed staffing flexibility and providing emergency short-term resources to enable hospitals to bring more nurses and other staff from out of state. Finally, Every one of us can protect ourselves and our families from respiratory viruses and prevent them from spreading to other people as another wave of respiratory diseases sweeps the nation and Oregon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hospitals are overwhelmed and don't have enough beds to treat everyone in the manner that they're accustomed to. Many more children are being hospitalized with breathing, pro- breathing problems than in past seasons, especially children under two. Now, more adults will be at risk of not getting the hospital care they need. We need to protect our kids 
our hospitals and our exhausted healthcare heroes. Wear a mask when you're in crowded indoor places this winter. Let me give you an overview on what we are facing. It is heartbreaking to have to present this information, knowing the tremendous pain that it represents for my fellow Oregonians, their families that are facing illness right now, as well as the healthcare providers taking care of them at this moment. We saw an almost five-fold increase in RSV-associated hospitalizations in Oregon's children between October 23rd and November 13th. And while RSV-associated hospitalizations peaked during the week ending November 19th, rates of hospitalization remain higher than during any previously recorded peak. So while the worst of RSV is behind us, many sick children will continue to require specialized care during the weeks to come. Influenza activity in our communities has doubled week over week for five consecutive weeks between October 18th and November 28th. Test percent positivity increased from just 1% to 30%. And flu-related hospitalizations have increased rapidly since late October and are affecting people 65 and older the most. During this short period of time, the hospitalization rate in the elderly has increased tenfold. This year's influenza season has begun earlier than it normally does, and we are seeing high levels of influenza nationwide. We will keep monitoring the influenza situation and its effect on hospitalization, but we do expect flu activity to maintain its upward trajectory into the winter, particularly as the holiday season and gathering with loved ones continues. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic is not over, and we're seeing warning signs that COVID-19 cases are quickly increasing this respiratory season. Both percent positivity and COVID-19 levels in wastewater have risen, signaling increased spread in our communities. And as expected, there has been a corresponding rise in the number of patients with COVID-19 in hospitals, from 235 to 347 during the past month an increase of 48% an increase of 48% ICU hospitalizations have also risen from 27 to 35 that increase is 30% covid-19 deaths remain flat over the last few months but as deaths are a lagging indicator we may unfortunately see that trend change so what does this all mean for hospitals the rest of this respiratory season it means our healthcare system will continue to be under severe strain. The latest statewide forecast from OHSU's modeling team, led by Dr. Peter Graven and published December 2nd, projects that surge in respiratory illnesses will keep intense pressure on Oregon hospitals with a sharp increase in flu cases, superseding a steady decline in RSV cases. During the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic, Oregonians wore masks at higher rates than people did in most other states. Oregon had one of the lowest COVID-19 death rates in the nation. Our hospitals were never overwhelmed, and we saved more than 5,000 lives. For the next several weeks, wear a mask to the grocery store and any other crowded indoor locations. A mask will protect you and your family from getting sick and missing out on the joys of the holiday season. Dr. Wendy Hassan works in pediatrics at Randall Children's Hospital, where they've been overwhelmed since Thanksgiving. What's going on in the pediatric world is truly historic nationwide and also here in Oregon. We're seeing historically high levels of respiratory viruses 
um, RSV at record high levels. And I'm happy to say that that's finally going down, but it's going down very slowly and is still at extremely high levels. Uh, we're seeing um, just rapidly escalating numbers of influenza admissions, as well as other admissions for um, COVID-19, uh, rhinovirus and enterovirus. And as a result of this, we are seeing record number of emergency room visits, urgent care visits, hospital admissions, and pediatric ICU admissions. And as a result, all three healthcare systems in the Portland area that care for children have been operating above capacity now for several weeks. And that means that we've had to increase our uh, ER capacity, increase our ICU capacity, and think creatively about how we're taking care of children. And I wanna be clear that this really is a first for Oregon, that we have seen this. We have dealt with respiratory surges every single season, every single year, but this um, operating above capacity really is historic and new. Um, I do wanna be uh, reassuring to parents that pediatric providers are extremely comfortable and familiar with managing these respiratory illnesses, RSV, influenza, these are all very familiar diseases that we treat frequently. And children, particularly ones who are previously healthy, can do extremely well if they receive the support of care that, we, that they need in a timely manner, meaning that they receive oxygen therapy, antibiotics, and sometimes even ventilator support. We expect that their outcomes will be good. And so I want to be clear that the crisis that we're dealing with in pediatrics is a crisis of a lack of healthcare personnel a lack of respiratory therapists, nurses, and support staff. And so that's why it was so important that we declared crisis standards of care in November in order to allow all of the pediatric facilities to provide care as creatively as possible because we are committed to delivering care to all of the children that need it within Oregon and Southwest Washington in as timely a manner as we're able to. And crisis standards of care allows us to do that. We know that our community partners have really been stretching themselves. I have been um, impressed time and time again by how amazing the emergency departments have been um, in these community hospitals. But it's really important that children, particularly very small children or very sick children, receive care at children's hospitals where the staff are, are, um, have received specialized training to care for them. And so we are doing absolutely everything we can to make sure that every child that needs our care gets to us. And sometimes that means that we're being creative. So maybe a child comes to the emergency room instead of directly to a hospital bed, um, or maybe we're doubling up patients. And so what I want the public to know is that care may look a little bit different, but we are still doing everything we can to provide that care. And so we do ask for grace from the public as we may not be able to offer the amenities that they're used to, such as private rooms. So your child may have to share a room, your child may have to be seen in the hallway, but the most important thing is that your child receives the medical care that they need when they need it. Um, I do want to focus on what families can do to help protect their own children, as well as the resources of the pediatric um, community. And so I wanna stress that we are seeing rapid numbers of flu cases being admitted to the hospital. And I will say I have admitted many patients over the last two weeks with the flu, and I have not admitted a single patient who has received a flu vaccine. Flu vaccines work. They keep kids out of the hospital. And I cannot stress this enough. If you have been on the fence about getting your flu vaccine, now is the time 
to get one immediately to keep your child out of the hospital. I also want to encourage parents to be really thoughtful about what they're saying yes to right now. Now is not the time to go to crowded indoor places like indoor birthday parties, play places, restaurants, grocery stores. Anything you can do to keep your child out of a crowded indoor area will help protect your child and the resources of the community. I want to encourage parents, particularly of very young babies, to feel empowered to say no to visitors. That can be really hard, but now is the time to say no thank you. Um, I do not want visitors seeing my young baby. And masking works. So anytime you have to go to an indoor crowded area during this surge, if you and your child can wear a mask, that will also help protect the resources. That's Dr. Wendy Hassan with Randall Children's Hospital and Dr. Dean Seidlinger, the state health officer, on the crisis facing hospitals because of respiratory infections. New technology education centers are offering free classes in the Portland area. Julian Alexander with Hacienda CDC says it's a joint effort with Verizon. We were approached by Verizon uh, three years ago to create three learning centers across Portland, which are a mixture of a computer lab and a makerspace to give low-income folks and communities of color access to technology and then also programming to sort of support them uh, utilizing the technology and sort of exploring digital spaces. And I think uh, especially when the pandemic hit, we kind of realized that the need was way more than I think anyone ever expected. So we um, officially opened uh, the doors, but we've been doing programming, you know, since the pandemic started, basically, of trying to get folks connected, get hands-on computers, email addresses set up so that folks can, can you know, make that transition to digital life that we all ha- were forced to make when the pandemic started. Where are these centers located? Yeah, the, uh, there are three centers across Portland. One is at Cully and Killingsworth at the Hacienda CDC offices. The second one is in North Portland in the New Columbia neighborhood on the Rosemary Anderson High School campus. And then the third one is in Southeast Portland at PCC Southeast um, in their student commons building on 82nd and Division. Tell us more about the educational programs that are offered. Yeah, we currently are doing a digital skill building class in Spanish where folks are touching uh, keys, you know, figures to keys for the first time um, in partnership with the Multnomah County Library. Uh, we also are offering after school programming with uh, Mesa, Oregon, uh, where we do STEM activities for middle school and high school students. And then we've also been doing field trips for local middle schools and high schools to just come into the space in partnership with Oregon State University. We have curriculum already outlined. Kids can just come in, do AR, VR, explore virtual worlds and explore the spaces themselves. And um, we've also done a summer camp where students come in and sort of start their own business and then eventually do sort of a Shark Tank-esque face-off at uh, the uh, Oregon State University campus in Corvallis. (laughs) (laughs) So who can take part in these programs? We uh, hopefully have something for everybody, whether you're a middle school or a high school student interested in tech, we have definitely stuff set up uh, for you. Or if you're an adult who wants to learn or an adult that has those skills, we also are always looking for folks to help give back to the community, support some of the education that we have in place. We have curriculum developed, and I think mostly it's just the capacity of staff and educators to teach it. So, you know, if you haven't, if you want to learn tech, we have um, 
uh, classes set up for you to come in and sort of get your hands on a computer and, and see what we can do there. Or if you already have that knowledge, there's ways for you to sort of give back to the community as well. Are there any costs associated with uh, with the educational programs? No, everything is free, and I think that's part of our mission. We want to just get people in, you know, I think uh, especially because of the pandemic, we realized that a lot of those skills don't come easy, or if you have questions or concerns about navigating the Internet, you know, you need to have a safe and comfortable space to ask those, and we don't want any barriers for folks accessing those services that are now vital to all of our lives. So does it kind of work like a, uh, you know, maybe like a high school or a college where you have certain courses that start at different times of the year? Are these going on all the time and you can just come in and join in? We have some courses that uh, last multiple days, but we also have open hours. Like right now, I'm just sitting in the space. And if you wanted to come in and use one of our computers and access the internet, we would also just have you in and we'll have open hours where folks can just come in and do whatever they're interested in doing in the spaces, no charge, you know, no curriculum, you know, if you just need access to the internet or, or want to find a way to connect more from there. And so if people want to learn more about what's offered, what's the best way for them to do that? I would encourage folks to visit the Hacienda website, www.haciendacdc.org. And then can they also just come in to one of the three centers and, and if they don't have access to the Internet, can come into one of the centers and, and you know, ask some questions about uh, what's involved with the program? Yeah, if people don't have access to the Internet, I would encourage you to stop by any of the three learning centers. We will get you signed up for the ACP program that provides subsidized Internet for folks. If you need a device, I would also encourage you to reach out to us, and we'll find a way to get you a device, potentially a desktop or a laptop to bring home with you. And if you just want to see the space and see what, you know, hang out, charge your phone maybe, we're also open to to folks doing that as well. That's Julian Alexander with Hacienda CDC with details on three new technology education centers that are operating in the Portland area with the help of Verizon. Thanks for listening to Local Voices. I'm Brad Ford. You can hear past episodes on the iHeartRadio app under the podcast tab. Local Voices is a public affairs presentation from iHeartRadio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.